back in my second week. I told you I didn't want to make any promises, but I also told you that I'm going to do my best. And I did my best. We have another episode of last Saturday night coming up. There's some interesting things in this one that I think you'll find enjoyable. My last week was pretty good. Um, You know, I live in Atlanta, Georgia, so I did some Georgia beer day things on Saturday, so it was good. And it's unseasonably warm in Atlanta right now. And I kind of hope it stays this way for a minute because once the humidity comes back, the humidity's back. So let's get into this episode and I'm back again. This episode is based off the March 26th and April 9th, 1977 episodes of Saturday Night Live. The host of the episodes was Jack Burns and Julian Bond. I'm going to give you a little bit of info about each one of them. Jack Burns was a comedian, an actor, a voice actor, a writer, and a producer. He is best known for being the Barney Fife deputy replacement on the Andy, Andy Griffin show in 1965. And apparently no one liked him on that. The audience did not take to him, so he didn't last long. So by the 70s, he had began begun working behind the camera as a writer and a producer on the the Muppet show in Hee Haw. And he passed away in January of 2020. He was 86 years old when he passed away. He um, was pretty good on the show. It's, it's interesting when I'm not too familiar with who the hosts are because, you know, they've already hit their prime by that time. And usually by the time I know who they may be. They've started doing something else, but he he was okay. He he held up with the rest of the guys. The next host for the April episode was Julian Bond. He was an American social activist, civil rights movement. He worked as a representative in Georgia and as a state senator and heavily involved in the civil rights movement. And I actually enjoyed him. But as usual, I've seen whenever Saturday Night Live has someone who's in a civil rights movement, whether black or white, they tend to do all the sketches about race. So that is what occurred on his episode. Some of it was good. Most of it wasn't, at least in 2023 standards or my standards but I'll let you know you can tell me what you think so the first thing I'm going to talk about is the Nixon interviews this was the week that the first one premiered it premiered on March 23rd 1977 and if you don't know the Nixon interviews they were a series of conversations between David Frost he's a British journalist and of course, Richard Nixon, who resigned from office. And they were recorded and broadcast on television and radio in four programs in 1977. These then the, these interviews also became a play in 2006 called Frost Nixon, and then a movie in 2008 also called Frost Nixon. 
Nixon's staff thought this would be an opportunity for him to restore his reputation with the public. He's been two years out of office after resigning from office because of the Watergate scandal. And they felt that, you know, if he explained himself, the public might, you know, understand why he did what he did. He was paid $600,000 at the time, which translates into about $2.7 million now. And he was going to get 20% of the profits off of this. Other news stations wanted to do interviews with him, but they were not willing to pay him. So um, this is how David Frost got him to do it. They, um, the interviews from what I've read, he is justifying what he did. He famously believes that the president doing anything automatically makes it legal, <laughs> which is not true. And so I also want to correlate this with Trump because th this is how they think. They think for whatever reason, being president gives you absolute power. I, I don't understand that. And if you read anything, you, you would know that. They would know the president does not have absolute power, but I digress. Um, the interviews to this day, the premiere episode, it drew 45 million viewers and it is the largest television audience for a political interview in history. And it's a record that still stands today. So if you hear Trump talking about the most people ever saw him, that's not true. Richard Nixon still holds that. And he, Nixon still, his famous quote was, when the president does it, that means that it is not illegal by definition. So if you've heard that quote, that's who said it. The aftermath of this actually did not go in the way they thought. They thought they did a Gallup poll and apparently 69% of the public still thought that Nixon was trying to cover up. 72% still thought he was guilty of obstruction of justice and 75% thought he deserved no further role in public life. And I say that to say, fast forward to January 6th and how the public views what happened there that was so clearly shown on television all day in real time. And there's people who still, you know, America is still split on that. There's, there's people who still think Trump doesn't have anything to do with that. And I just, where did the Republican party go? <laughs> because these were Republicans still not believing Richard Nixon and that was Watergate. And I, and I, to this day, I still don't think people really understand what happened, but when January 6th happened, you saw it with your own eyes on television or you were there and you still don't think it happened or Trump wasn't responsible. But anyway, um, this is where Frost Nixon's come from and you should look it up. They have the transcripts online if you want to be more detailed because apparently David Frost was known for being kind of a softball interviewer 
but apparently he wasn't in these interviews. So he he really went after Nixon to try to understand him. So it's worth a read. Now we're going to talk about something that I, I didn't know, but makes perfect sense that it was formed. The United States had a United States House of Representatives Select Committee on Assassinations. They decided to investigate the assassinations of JFK and Martin Luther King in 1976. The entire investigation wasn't completed until 1978. And I'll tell you what the final report is now because I'm pretty sure Saturday Night Live and the 1978 season will was will probably discuss it, but we'll talk about it now. But first, the commission was formed after the Warren Commission that happened in the 60s. They they said that you know Oswald was the lone shooter, and Jack Ruby was the lone shooter for MLK. And 87% of the people at that time believed that. But then 1975 rolls around and the Zapruder film is released. If, if you've watched the movie JFK, if you've seen anything about his assassination, you know what the, the Zapruder film is. And that's when the public started believing in conspiracies and the government was involved and and documents started becoming unclassified, so the House of Representatives felt that they needed to do a deep dive into how and why um, these two men were assassinated, and if the government was going to be behind it. So, you have the government investigating two murders to see if the government was involved. <laughs> okay, make it make sense. But anyway, <laughs> so it went through, there were three men were over it at a time. It, it, it kind of had a lot of upheaval. You, we've seen that now, so you can understand what happens. You get egos, you get people who don't want to know the truth. The CIA director that was part of the Warren Commission, he was even part of this group. So again, how can we really get the truth if you still have some of the same characters in in both commissions it 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 doesn't doesn't make sense but and i wonder if that would have even happened now because i just feel like that would have been such an uproar and twitter would have been in shambles but when has the government fully listened to us anyway but the conclusions the general conclusions to no one's surprise was that after various investigations the u.s government was not involved in a conspiracy in each of these cases. Um, in the King assassination, they concluded that he was killed from one rifle shot from James Earl Ray. And they're like, there's a likelihood that it was a result of a conspiracy, but the U.S. government was not involved. <laughs> they're saying it was more likely between Ray and his brothers. U.S. government, no involvement. And the conclusions they reached from the Kennedy assassination was that Lee Harvey Oswald did fire three shots at Kennedy. The third shot he fired killed the president. There is scientific acoustical evidence 
that establishes a probability that at least two gunmen fired at the president. Other scientific evidence says it doesn't. So, again, but what do we do now? The government was not involved. The committee believes that Kennedy might have been assassinated as a result of a conspiracy, but the Soviet government wasn't involved, the Cuban government wasn't involved, and the United States government was not involved. They even named three organizations, the Secret Service, the FBI, and the CIA were not involved in the assassination of Kennedy. Now, mind you, the head of the CIA that was the head of the CIA when Kennedy died was also on this commission, committee. So, <laughs> I, I mean, what, what can you trust? And that's been the criticism of this entire um, assassination committee that how the government can't, can't investigate itself. So we're gonna talk about Renee Richards. She was an American ophthalmologist and a former tennis player. She played on the professional circuit in the 70s, and she became known following male-to-female sexual assignment surgery when she fought to compete as a woman in the 1976 U.S. Open. The United States Tennis Association started genetic screening for female players that year, and she challenged that policy in the New New York Supreme Court ruled in her favor, and that was a landmark case for transgender rights. And she was one of the first professional athletes to identify as transgender, and she became a spokesperson for transgender people in sports. And after retiring as a player, she coached Martina Navratilova to two Wimbledon titles. Um... She began dressing as a woman in college, and, you know, that was in the 60s, so they classified transsexualism as insanity, and it's it's a wonder we've all made it out of the 50s, 60s, 70s, but um, she changed her name from Richard to Renee, which is French for reborn, which I actually thought was kind of cool. She struggled with sexual confusion, depression, and suicidal tendencies until she began seeing a doctor who was a disciple of Henry Harry Benjamin, who specialized in transsexualism and sexual reassignment. She began getting hormone therapy injections and then traveled to Morocco to perform the sex reassignment surgery. She ultimately decided against it, and then she returned to New York. She finally did successfully transition in 1975, and she started working as an ophthalmologist and practiced with another doctor. She was outed in 1976 by a local TV anchor by the name of Richard Carlson. You got it right, folks. This was Tucker Carlson's father. successfully sued and won the case against the Tennis Association. So she played professionally from 1977 to 1981 when she retired at the age of 47. She was ranked as high as 20th 
overall and her highest ranking at the end of the year was 22nd. That was in 1977. Her first professional event as a female was the 1977 U.S. Open. She was inducted into the Tennis Association's Eastern Tennis Hall of Fame in 2000, and in 2013, she was among the first class of inductees into the National Gay and Lesbian Sports Hall of Fame. But since then, she has expressed ambivalence about her legacy and came to believe her past as a man provided her with advantages over her competitors. She said in a quote, having lived for the past 30 years, I know if I'd had surgery at the age of 22 and then at 24 when I went on tour, no genetic woman in the world would have been able to come close to me. And so I've reconsidered my opinion. Of course, I absolutely do not agree with her because we have a woman by the name of Serena who can outplay, in my humble opinion, any man on a tennis court. And even the men have said she's the greatest tennis player of all time. So, you know, um, there's respectability politics in every form. And I just think she just subscribes to that now. And, but she was one of the first and she did open doors. And her case has gone on to help transgender people today. But they still have a, a fight. So... I just, I never heard of her before, and now you've heard of her. Her name is Renee Richards, and Tucker Carlson's evil father outed her on TV. So now we see where the evilness spawned. We're going to talk about a skit that Garrett Morris and Julian Bond did on the show. Julian Bond, I've told you, is a civil rights activist, and... uh, was heavily involved in the civil rights movement, was the head of SNCC, it, you know, just was in the trenches for civil rights. And Garrett Morris, as you know by now, is the only black member on um, Saturday Night Live right now. But they did a mock interview where Garrett, Garrett Morris was asking about test scores and why um, black people at that time were scoring lower in standardized tests than than white people. And Julian Bond says, well, we all know light-skinned blacks are smarter than dark-skinned blacks. I absolutely cringed when he said that. And this was 1977, but I I still cringed. And I went to do research on Julian Bond to see how he felt about that. And if, if you don't know who Julian Bond is or haven't seen him, he is a light-skinned black man. And Garrett Morris is a dark-skinned black man. But he wrote an article in 2017 in The Hollywood Reporter about this. This was when Saturday Night Live was coming under fire for not having black players on the show for any amount of time, especially black women. So this is when they hired Sashir to be on the show. And and two female writers also got on the show, Leslie Jones and LaKendra Tooks. But he said that 
his quote was in his, from his article. He said he appeared as himself on a mock television interview show about black issues. I told Garrett Morris, one of SNL's original Not Ready for Primetime players, that light-skinned blacks are smarter than dark-skinned blacks. Morris, who is darker-skinned than I am, did a perfect double-take. I felt squeamish then, but did the skit anyway, and I feel uneasy about this joke even today. I believed it treaded dangerously on the fine line between comedy and poor taste. End quote. And I'll say it again. I, I think I think you can be provocative about those matters, but there's just an argument to be said about it being poor taste. And I think Julian Bond, looking back on it, realized that he probably should have went with his gut and not done this sketch. Because I think Saturday Night Live at that time, and up until the 2000s really, really handled race issues in a way that is not funny. Um, colorism is not funny. Colorism is something we still talk about today. And without there being, you know, an informed person speaking on it or giving giving it a new angle, it just, it comes off as in poor taste. And you know, it's actually refreshing to see this article so many years later from him that he didn't like the skit either. So it's just poor Garrett. He just kept getting put in situations like that. And it, it just, it makes me so uncomfortable for him then. But um, Julian knew what it was about. It's funny how this episode also talks about the Oscars. And the Oscars are happening in 2023, this upcoming Sunday. So the Oscars were held on that Monday, March 28th in 1977. And just a few little things about it. Um, we had our first woman nominated for Best Director for Seven Beauties. Her name was Lena Wertmuller. I'm sure I messed that up. And Barbara Streisand won for the song Evergreen for Best Original Song, and she was the first woman to be honored in that category. And she's the only person to have won for both acting and songwriting. It was following her Best Actress win for Funny Girl. Uh, they were held directly opposite the NCAA Championship Basketball Game, which is interesting. And just a few winners of that year, Rocky won Best Picture, um, the director of Rocky, John Avelson, won. Faye Dunaway won for Best Actress for Network. Uh, Network seemed to be the, the movie of the year that year, and it, it won a lot. So we have this upcoming one, and this was also the Oscars where Muhammad Ali and Sylvester Stallone play fought. And, uh, yeah, that's it, really, for the Oscars. They were kind of boring back then, and they're kind of boring now. But we shall see. And no, I'm not talking about what happened last year at the Oscars. I'm off that subject. But we'll also talk about the number one movie that week, which was Airplane. It actually knocked 
Rocky out for just one week. And then Rocky came back in April to be the number one movie going on right now. Airport 77 was the third film in a franchise of airport movies. So I have seen none of those. And now I'm intrigued and will go see. Um, I've Got Love on My Mind by Natalie Cole was the number one song still in March. But by April, it was Trying to Love 2 by William Bell. That was the number one songs. and I hope you enjoyed it. I enjoyed learning some things and I hope you did too. Please comment. Let me know if there's anything else you'd like to know or comment on the topics I talked about today. Please subscribe. Please follow me at last.saturdaynight on IG and TikTok for some more fun little things I do. And I hope to be back to you next week. No promises, but we're going to keep this train going. I hope you enjoyed it, and I want you to have a good day and a pleasant week.